Welcome to Just Us for Justice from Consumer Attorneys of California. I'm J.G. Preston. We have an interesting conversation in store for you. With me is State Senator Tom Umberg, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Glad you could join us, Senator. Thank you, J.T., and thank you, Mr. Rizzio. Yes, here to converse with Senator Umberg is Greg Rizzio, CAOC's president in 2023. Greg worked extensively closely with uh, Senator Umberg on a number of issues during his presidency, so thanks for being with us, Greg. Thanks, J.G. Hey, so thank you for joining us. Um, you know, it's always great to, to sit down with you because you have insights that a lot of people do not have being both a lawyer and a senator. Um, one of the things I'd like for you to describe for our members, specifically for the COC, is like, why the legislative body and why should lawyers be invo involved or care about the COC being involved with the legislature, right? I mean, I know you and I've spoken about how important the COC is for the courts. I'd love to hear our members to hear from your perspective why you think that is. Well, there's a, a number of reasons. Uh, there's a good government reason. Uh, number one, because lawyers have a unique perspective on the judiciary. And so I, I think that it's lost on many members of the legislature that the judiciary is a third independent branch of government. And um, one of the challenges is that there are very few, contrary to conventional wisdom, there are very few lawyers and, and just a very small handful out of the 120 legislators, there's probably three that are practicing lawyers and, and maybe two that have been in court out of the 120 in the last 10 years. And so uh, the functioning of the judiciary is incredibly important for the rule of law. Um, judges don't really lobby, but lawyers can and should and do just so that we have a third independent branch of government. That's number one. Number two, in particular, those who represent consumers um, are interested in the efficient functioning of the judiciary. Uh, the defense bar, of which I have been one, a member, uh, they, you know, often delay is is often in the defense's interest. And so the efficient operation of the judiciary, I think, is critically important to those who represent consumers, those who represent everyday Californians, uh, because they want to get they, they want their matter decided on the merits, not decided by resources and discovery, not decided because the passage of time basically moots issues or evidence you know, becomes uh, lost or diminished. Um, but, but consumer attorneys, I think, want to see the courts operate um, fairly and efficiently. And so if you are someone who represents everyday Californians, then I think it is really important for you to have your voice heard. CAOC does an excellent job of that. But but individual um, individual interaction with legislators is also really important. And I know a lot of people think, oh, no one cares. Oh, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't want to reach out. Maybe they don't know me that well. But I would encourage you to do so. Um, I think most of your members would be surprised is that, that legislators actually do respond. Yeah. Well, and, you know, um... I know that we've appreciated having you as a lawyer as the Senate Judiciary Chair, because when we come to you with an issue of this is what's going on in court, it's like you get it right. I mean, you stand in front of judges and you understand what's going on. Uh, I've been yelled at a number of times by judges for <laughs> missteps. And so that's the best teacher. 
Hey, so so one of your passions, and you and I have been working on this for several years now. Uh, last year, SB two thirty five, which is now what uh, CCP twenty sixteen point oh whatever oh, um, you know that was a passion of yours for a while. Talking about the interplay of how the legislature affects the courts, SB two thirty five is, is a good example of that. Tell us why you like were, were that has been a passion for you. I remember flying up like in 2018 or 19 and like, well, I'm not so sure about this, Senator. Tell, tell us a little bit about your passion of 235 and your, your thoughts. Um, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it brings out the nerd in me um, <laughs> that I've spent as much time as I have on, on discovery issues. Uh, some people have thought that what I'm going for is bumper stickers that say, vote Umberg. He has reform the request for production of documents process. It's a little tough to fit all that on a bumper sticker. A with long a, bumper sticker, Tom. Very catchy. It's a very catchy campaign phrase. Uh, no, it is, it's my experience that discovery has become, uh, one, a, a subject to gamesmanship. Two, it significantly delays getting to the merits. Three, it greatly advantages those with resources over those who don't have the resources. In other words, that, that discovery, uh, because of its expense and its time, can be outcome determinative. And that shouldn't be. You know, disputes should be resolved on their merits, not because one side has greater resources. And an area that I particularly focused upon, that you're right, several years ago, is the uh, production of documents that... It just seemed like it was such an onerous process of, you know, you make your request, you make your demand, then you meet and confer. Some places you have to do an informal discovery conference, then you file your motion, then your motion gets heard. And then, you know, you, you basically try to figure out exactly what the court said. Um, and I know judges, they certainly love discovery motions. That's that's a joke. But uh, but. So so um, we had a bill that basically said it, it was derivative of Rule 26 of federal rules of civil procedure. that basically said that early on in the litigation, um, 45 days, you, you have to produce uh, what you know, witnesses, you have to produce documents, you have to produce in particular um, insurance policies or any contracts that um, relate to coverage and also identify those who have an interest in the litigation so that you can get the thing settled. Um, you can have a, you can have a meaningful settlement conference early on in the litigation. Uh, and you have a meaningful sense of both your case as well as your opponent's case. Uh, well, that bill was, was dramatically watered down and basically was, um, became effective only if everyone, the, the court and all parties stipulated to it. So, that's different now as of January 1. As of January 1, um, you have to produce um, that information. If, if there's a demand by either side um, after 60 days, 60 days after filing, then you've got to produce uh, the documents, the names of witnesses, the at least the location of the documents, um, identify experts to the extent you know them, and also um, insurance policies, contracts for coverage, indemnification, that kind of thing. And that's the purpose. And if you don't, if you don't do it, if you simply respond with a boilerplate response, then there's a mandatory thousand dollar sanction. Uh, and that's that's the floor. That's not the that's not the um, ceiling. That's the floor. So I did it because I want to see um, matters resolved earlier. I did it because I want to reduce gamesmanship. I did it because I want to empower judges to um, enforce the rules with a, um, a stronger tool. 
back to what we I had said earlier. Um, you know, last year I got to spend a lot of time with you working on this bill. It was it was great. It was really an honor to fly up there and see how how the government really works, right? I mean, to, to sit in your office and say, well, I'm not so sure about this. And, and back to my point earlier of you being a lawyer, when I would bring up a point like, well, I'm not sure this is going to fly. It was really nice to have you go, yeah, I see that, right? I, I see why in court that wouldn't work type of thing, because, you know, obviously um, we went back and forth on this a while. And I will tell you that our members who I wasn't weren't, I was not quite so sure they were going to love it. They've actually really loved it. So it, it seems to have been really well adopted and, and embraced by at least the CEOC members that I've spoken to. So thank you for, you know. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, now the question is, will judges enforce it? And, and that's always the that's always the question. Um, and the reason I made the sanctions mandatory is, you know, um, Judges don't like to sanction folks. I understand that. Um, that's a hard thing to do. Um, but they can now point to the legislature and say, hey, you know, I, I wish I had a choice here. Now, by the way, just, just so you know, so people don't think that this is automatic. If there's a legitimate reason why you, for example, didn't produce documents, so there's a legitimate reason why you didn't identify, you know, whatever it may be. Um, let me just give an example. Like privilege, you think you've got a you think you've got a, a legitimate privilege objection. Uh, you tell the court, look at you know we fought about it, we lost. You know the court found that the, the document wasn't privileged, but it was but it wasn't a frivolous it wasn't a frivolous. Um, uh, uh, your your position wasn't wasn't good faith. Although you can be in good faith, but the court may not find it for you. Yeah. Well, look, too many times, as you know, uh, one side or the other will try and hide a document and claim it to be work product when it really has no business being there. So uh, we shall see how the judges enforce it, because if they do, it's a great it's a great vehicle for both sides, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, it's sunsets, by the way. So um, yeah, but you'll have a say in that sunset. Yeah. We negotiated uh, I, that. I will I'll be around for a little while, but it's sunsets. So what that means is, is that Folks, uh, we'll we'll have to see how this works, and I'm I'm hopeful that that people will make a demand, that uh, council will make a demand on the other side, and that we'll have a couple years of experience before this expires to make a good judgment as to whether we should go back to the old system. But by the way, this doesn't take the place of the traditional, you know, interrogatories, requests for admissions, requests for production. It doesn't take the place of it. In fact, I think that. You know, um, lawyers may be wise to do both, yeah. to to both to make the uh, request, the 60 day request pursuant to SB 235, and then also um, engage in the traditional discovery just so that you've got belt and suspenders. Well, what, what I like about it from the consumer side is there's a lot of plaintiff lawyers, I think, that don't even know their own case for too long. Um, and I think this is better for the, the citizens of California who are in the legal system because it's going to force their own lawyers to take a hard look at their case. And hopefully, like you said, understand their own case, understand the value of their case and kind of resolve it maybe earlier because our courts are congested. Um, as you know, we're still not really completely caught up from COVID and the courts are, are overworked um, and understaffed, as the judges would say. Speaking of, let's see how it works. Let's let's move over to the state bar and their their increase uh, the request for increase of dues. What are your thoughts on that, Senator? <laughs> I think I got the same email that every member of the California State Bar got that said basically your dues are going up. 
um, it was a little more nuanced than that. It said that the, you know, the bar needs additional funds and that the legislature has given it a path. Um, we had quite a bit of back and forth last year, just for your members so that they know. Um, the state bar has, is really um, under the auspices of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has primary jurisdiction over the state bar. The legislature traditionally only has the um, responsibility, I suppose, of passing a bill every year to authorize the bar to collect dues. Um, the, the Supreme Court can do that as well, but traditionally the, the, the legislature, and also traditionally that 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 bill um, is carried by the chairs of the Judiciary Committee. I chair it in the Senate, and now Assemblymember Caldwell chairs it in the Assembly. Last year it was a bill that I carried. This year it'll be a bill that, that Assemblymember Caldwell carries. And last year we had a number of different issues with the bar: discipline issues, issues concerning. Um, expanding the practice to uh, non-lawyers, uh, both paraprofessionals as well as corporations. We had issues concerning um, the uh, accountability within the bar. And so it was very, very controversial, much more controversial than before. And and uh, the bar did seek a due, uh, fee increase. I, um, I did not put a fee increase in, in the bar bill uh, because I wanted to see the bar respond to some of those concerns. Legislature now is much more engaged than it used to be. Um, we, in the bar bill last year, we require now that there are three officers of the state bar that now require Senate confirmation. Um, we are going to annually do a fairly extensive hearing like we did last year on um, the operations of the state bar. Um, yes, I saw the email that says that dues are gonna go up. I, I, I I don't. I don't know that for a fact. I, Assemblymember Kara is going to carry the bill and make a determination as to what he wants to put in there in terms of the amount. Uh, but it will come to the Senate, and there'll be some conversation in the Senate. The bar, um, I think, has taken some steps in the right, certainly taken steps in the right direction. But there's still a way to go. There's still a way to go uh, in terms of all the items we mentioned: accountability, discipline. Um, you know, focusing on their own operations. Yeah. Well, I remember sitting in on that session last year with uh, I think it was a joint session with the Assembly and the Senate watching Ruben Duran and, and you know, uh, kind of go through his uh, his little grilling uh, on what was going on at that point. So, you know, it is comforting to know, even though we are a separate branch, that there is some oversight from you, from Assemblymember coverage um, in regards to what's going on at the state bar. Because there's a lot of crazy sort of issues going on. I don't know what your take is on like, hey, let's not have a bar exam. Um, let's just let anybody practice. Um, let's let corporations come in and take over. What What are your thoughts on, on sort of those types of proposals? Well, the, the, the first question, I the, the bar is, the bar's primary responsibility should be to provide um, protection to California consumers, that, so that so that that those who are admitted to the bar are competent to practice law, and those who are members of the bar who uh, have demonstrated that either they should not be practicing law or that they need some sort of um, uh, discipline, that they should be. That's 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 their function. That's their primary function, in my view. So the first question is: If you're going to change how one becomes a member of the bar, tell me how that increases consumer protection. Tell me what that does. For Californians, if you're simply telling me that makes it easier for somebody to become a member of the bar, I, that, that, that doesn't really move me. It doesn't really move me. So 
Um, th there are issues. I mean, we have issues with the uh, diversity of the bar. That's a real issue. The um, I think there's an issue with respect to discipline and whether discipline is administered in a way that is um, fair and and just uh, among all uh, different groups sectors. Um, those are those are big issues. And I would like to see that the bar be more reflective of California's population. Um, but again, the first duty is to protect California consumers. So you tell me, Bar, how whatever it is you want to do does a better job of protecting consumers. You know, I've, I've always thought, and, and I agree with you, uh, I think some of the enforcement issues have always been sort of haphazard. You know, there's really no consistency there. One of the things that has always drove me a little crazy about the bars, I, I think they go out of their way so much to brag about how they're trying to punish us that they don't really... Uh, you know, you look at the AMA, you look at the doctors, right? That, that their job is to discipline doctors as well, but they don't go out and just bash doctors <laughs> and their doctors really kind of trust them. Whereas, you know, a lot of the members of the bar don't trust the state bar who, you know, and they should, they, they need to spend some time, you know, creating a, a, an atmosphere of, Hey, you know, we're on the same team. We all want to protect the public. We all want to get rid of the bad members help us help you, you know, the Jerry Maguire, help us help you type of thing. And they just don't, they just want to brag about, you know, Hey, we're here, we're here to, 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 you know, shove discipline down your throat. So watch out. Well, uh, Mr. Girardi, um, he who shall not be named as I call him. He, yeah. well, uh, okay. Erica Jane's <laughs> husband, I'll just, I'll call him Erica Jane's husband. Erica Jane's <laughs> husband is done. Um, I, I know this sounds odd, but, uh, uh, while he it appears to have victimized folks that are already had already been victims, I mean, people that are already hurt, he victimized them again. Um, but what he also did is, is he exposed a number of different flaws in the system uh, by virtue of the fact that the there were over 200 complaints filed going back 30 years. And the uh, failure to really take any action is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to the profession. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed uh, about uh, how the profession failed to respond to those who had been victimized by Girardi. And there's others, too. Um, and so, uh, yes, um, we, we do have to be careful about an overreaction by the state bar. Um, and you're right. The, the stories are legion of you know discipline has been administered in a way that seems to be arbitrary and then discipline that doesn't seem to have been administered at all yeah well hey we only have a few more minutes and i appreciate your time this morning i, I would like to end with i mean you and i worked on a lot of bills you were very ambitious last year sb 71 and i could go on and on with several i'd like to actually end with a bill that really you didn't author but you know it did get in front of you which was senator portillo's uh, sb662 in the court reporter issue and the court reporter shortages um as a lawyer and as you know and, and being in the senate what, what are your thoughts on is is there a way to kind of fix this court reporter issue that, that you can kind of foresee so I know, I know i'm giving you two minutes to answer a question that really takes hours but you know in a, in a quick I, I think that um, most practicing lawyers want to have a court reporter in the courtroom for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and court reporters perform an invaluable service and having them present is most helpful. 
But you, as you pointed out, um, I think last year we had maybe 37 court reporters certified in the state of California. Um, average age of court reporters today is 55 years old. So uh, there are a number of courts in California, a number of courts, family law courts in most of California. There are no court reporters. Absolutely critical for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and so um, there are a number of different proposals to remedy the situation. Um, during COVID, we had a period of time where court reporting was done remotely. Um, I, I even tried a case during that time where at least half of the case was tried remotely because as of January 1 of last year, we required a court reporter to be physically present in the courtroom. Um, and and that, that can work, that can work. Um, but over the long term, this is an issue that um, is not going away. This is an issue that um, we have to uh, deal with using modern technology, that remote appearances have been, uh, this is a little different than the court reporting issue, but remote appearances by witnesses, uh, we have to reauthorize that periodically. Um, it's, it's my view that it should be permanent now, that, that you know, a five minute court appearance that requires your you or your client or both to be there is um, often a waste of a couple hours of time, sometimes even more than a couple hours. So um, two points. One is court reporter shortage is real, and um, it's it's begun to dramatically impact litigants all over the state, number one. Number two is that remote access, I think, is a, uh, a way to cut costs, a way for indigents to participate without missing a day of work. But it's it's contrary to the conventional wisdom of many members of the bar and the bench, uh, it's not permanent at all. Um, in fact, in, in criminal courts, the remote access is due to expire this year. The civil courts, a couple years. Well, we didn't get into SB 21, which you, you sponsored, which uh, kept remote appearances open for us last year. And, and I don't know that our members realize how close that came to dying. We, we so. came within days. <laughs> As you know, we came within days. Of, yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. So, hey, I know you have a really busy day. Uh, Senator, thank you so much. On behalf of the COC, as I said earlier, it's just it's just so comforting to have an attorney, you know, as the Senate Judiciary Chair that understands the real issues that we go through. Thanks for giving us half hour today. Thanks for uh, watching well, over great. the hey, Thank you. Uh, you know, you're right. You you spent a ton of time. I don't know how you maintain your practice, given how often I saw you here in Sacramento, either roaming the halls or harassing me. So, you know. <laughs> well, that restraining order, I think you got to be last well, year. That's right. that, to the, go the sign on the door now can come down, I think. <laughs> big Greg Rizzio with a slash through it yeah <laughs> well you know everyone up there wants that that side so uh, thank you senator thank you again for all your time and, and watching over the courts all right see y'all bye-bye thank you uh one thing i will say about tom uh senator umberg he he really cares he cares about this state he cares about taking care of californians um and having him and now you know uh assembly uh on the assembly chair having two lawyers like in the judiciary chairs is just something that's, you know, unprecedented now in California. And it's really comforting to our members to know that they get it and they understand what what's going on. So, Greg, we're looking forward to seeing Senator Umberg at our Sonoma seminar, March 8th and 9th. He's going to be talking about SB 235 and expand on some of the issues we talked about here. 
You know, Sonoma's going to be spectacular. Catherine has done such a great job. Catherine Stebner, our current president, has done such a great job uh, in taking over this year. And, um, you know, Sonoma's going to be epic. And having Senator Umberg as, I believe, our keynote and having the honor to introduce him there, uh, as you could kind of tell, we got very close last year. We spent a lot of time together. So I'm very excited to see him in Sonoma. I'm very excited to see all of our members in Sonoma. It's going to be a great conference. And the registration is still open. Uh, CAOC.org slash 2-4-Sonoma will get you to the registration page and you can find out more about what's going on at the seminar. Greg Rizzio, our immediate past president at CAOC, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. JG, it's always good seeing you. Uh, you know, stay, I would say stay dry and warm over there, but you haven't had a lot of snow this year. So <laughs> you know, just enjoy yourself and uh, make, make sure that uh, I can't wait to see you in Sonoma. And that does it for this edition of Just Us for Justice from Consumer Attorneys of California, produced by Cutter Hicks. I'm J.G. Preston. We'll see you next time. Thanks, J.G.